Hey there, good to talk to you again and welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a podcast for open-minded free thinkers, where we explore all the wonder and enigmatic aspects of existence, the paranormal, esoterica, legends, and lore across a vast amount of cryptic topics. You and I, dear listener, are going to explore everything weird, be it the UFO phenomenon, serial killers, and everything unexplained. We're going to look deeper into reality and existence and not accept things at face value or go along with the conditioned narratives of the herd. Today on the show, I'm going to talk about the shadow, which is one of the main aspects of Carl Jung's great work in psychology. Carl Gustav Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. He founded analytical psychology. Jung's work was influential in the fields of psychiatry, anthropology, archaeology, literature, philosophy, and religious studies. Jung worked as a research scientist as well as a pretty much a all-around huge influencer of the modern world. I personally am very fascinated by Jung's work and have been absorbing his teachings for some time, and I'm just basically a huge fan. Then we're going to get into a pretty unknown entity known as the Egregore which is a thought form created by groups of people that can influence everyone associated with it on a subconscious level. We've talked about tulpas and thought forms on the show, so this should be interesting. I've gone over how the Slenderman phenomenon could very well be one of these thought entities, as well as many more deities and supernatural creatures from myth. And speaking of myth, we're going to end the show with the legend of Shuten Doji, a Japanese mythological figure and demon king of an army of wrathful oni. Debauchery led to the corruption of this one-time monk, but just how can a human be transformed into a demon? Listen on to find out. But one thing to remember when I'm talking about Jung is, Jung has an amazing ability to sum up complex ideas or outline of abstract topics in simple phrases that are symbolically representative on an uncanny level with precise accuracy. So terms like the shadow are, they're no accident. He uses imagery to create anchors into the subconscious mind that are already familiar to both the conscious mind and subconscious mind. So even if like uh, you don't necessarily understand it consciously, your subconscious totally understands the symbolism. Symbolism is the language of the subconscious. So a lot of phrases and terms he uses have cast hidden meanings that may not get understood at first and taking what he says at face value is really doing him an injustice. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The shadow is a term used in psychology, specifically being a theme in the work of famed psychologist Carl Jung. Now, Jung is easily the most profound and spiritual psychologist who ever lived, and doubled as a philosopher. He can easily be given the title of an enlightened master, just like the Buddha or any other awakened teachers of the past. Jung immersed himself in many different spiritual practices that he gained knowledge in while traveling across the world. But he was also very, very grounded in mainstream academia as well, with one of his teachers being the esteemed and often misunderstood Sigmund Freud 
the famous Austrian neurologist and founder of psychoanalysis, which is a clinical method for treating psychopathology through dialogue between a patient and a psychoanalyst. Jung, however, is one of the few psychologists not blinded by the modern religion of scientism and worked to bridge the gap between real science and spirituality. Oh, and just before anyone gets triggered, I mean real science in the sense that real scientists understand that the scientific method has its limitations, and that there's much beyond explanation in our current paradigm and level of advancement. The scientific method is a tool, it's not the end-all be-all. And with quantum physics, and physics in general, there are valid reasons spirituality should be taken very seriously. Scientism is a dogma many mainstream people have been indoctrinated into, and they have faith in it unquestionably. It's a modern religion that is anti-religion, just like many of the religions of the past it scrutinizes as false beliefs. The irony is hilariously entertaining. So there is a difference between science and scientism. One is dogma and faith, a belief system. The other is actual science. Carl Jung's work is, out of all the psychologists of the past, unparalleled though, because unlike many of his field, his work was based on ancient wisdom traditions and the mystery schools of the past, as well as all the wisdom from all the spiritual teachings across basically the world. And he also took a lot of uh, modern interpretations and uh, would filter them through the scientific method. The original science was Hermeticism, and many groundbreaking discoveries in the sciences and psychology are actually timeless and have been with humanity since the beginning. A good example is the ancient Hebrew versions of the subconscious and conscious minds, known as the Ruach and the Nepesh. These two objectively factual functions of human consciousness has actually been known by the wise for eons. And I know I have confused some people in the past, I've used the term shadow or shadow work many times in content for Cryptic Chronicles and found that many people are clueless as to what I'm talking about. The term shadow work has been thrown around in social media many times with most people scratching their heads when they come across it. People think it refers to something dark and evil since it has the word shadow in it. However, performing shadow work couldn't be farther from the truth. The shadow is a natural part of all conscious beings, and it's there as your lifelong companion, whether you want it to be or not. The ego, what we would consider to be ourselves, is actually only associated with the conscious mind. And this part of us we're familiar with is just the tip of the iceberg. In truth, the majority of how we look at ourselves with the conscious mind is largely delusional. For people unfamiliar with the shadow, a good analogy is that in every story there is a hero and a villain, and in your story, you are both. Many societies program humans from birth to think that they are solely the conscious ego, which actually couldn't be more of a lie. Inside us all, there are many warring factions that pull the strings of our behavior without us even knowing about it. Around 95 to 98% of our lives is governed by the subconscious mind, yet we have little knowledge of its influence in our waking lives. 
Your fears and your darkness are never detached from you. The shadow is always there, and it always will be. In truth, someone with no relationship or integration of their shadow cannot truly be said to be a complete human being, less than half so in fact. Through social conditioning, we construct and live through a facade, but at the same time, the shadow is not something pleasant to confront if one has lived most of their lives unconsciously. Our constructed ego makes us feel safe and familiar, giving a semblance of control in a world where only chaos and change are the guarantees. A person is only as free as the mind allows, and much of our limitations are self-imposed, even if subconsciously through the shadow. But I have yet to answer, just what is the shadow? Well, that's not the easiest question to answer without some context. The shadow is essentially aspects of ourselves that we suppress. It's aspects of our consciousness that is below the conscious radar, yet has a powerful influence on our daily lives. In truth, there's nothing more frightening than confronting the deep aspects of ourselves. But then again, there's nothing more rewarding or beneficial. I'm sure that you've heard people use the term projecting before. I know I've heard it a bazillion times. Well, projecting is associated with the shadow. It's this hidden aspect of ourselves that can take over without us even knowing about it, though usually in just short spurts throughout the day. Deep within our unconscious minds lives our shadow selves, which holds on to all our secrets and desires, because nothing we repress is ever actually lost from our psyche. And it's the subconscious that actually controls a vast majority of our beliefs, actions, and words. Here's a quote from Freighter V. Going against the herd results in backlash, but denying oneself to fit together pieces of a shattered psyche only results in a life lived mostly unconsciously. Sheep all go in the same direction, and they'll follow one another right off a cliff. End quote. We all have delusions of a code of conduct that we all must follow to be a good person. Quote unquote. You know, with beliefs, values, and opinions revolving around that idea. There are people out there who won't even interact with someone if they have bad politics. Essentially categorizing them into the bad person category. And this is simply just if someone doesn't share their point of view. And I'm sure, I'm sure you know the type. Those that stand up on a moral high ground and zealously denounce others for not mirroring their standards. The sad reality is these people are actually the evilest and most damaging type of person to the world, and these attributes are projections of the shadow. These people want to change the world, but the irony is that in order to help others and help the world, they must first actually accept themselves and do the inner work to become a whole and awakened human being. They have to essentially clean their own house before they point at other people telling them to clean theirs. In the real world, they, there's a lot of these people, and it sucks. You can completely tell they haven't done any shadow work because they're so polarized, which actually creates an incredibly closed mind. Whenever a strong belief is created in one's consciousness, the unconscious will filter out things that contradict their opinions. And this is widely known as confirmation bias, or knowledge filtration. And it actually 
actively inhibits somebody's ability to see things objectively. A large number of humans are literally incapable of seeing things from other people's points of view. And that is doubled down on if it goes against already accepted paradigms. The majority of people cannot confront the possibility that they're wrong in many situations, or the beliefs that they have, and throughout their lives will go to extreme measures to prove to themselves and to others that they are right and true. They will do so even if it means hurting other people or causing pain and suffering to the masses. And after knowing this, you may never bother arguing with people on social media ever again. Because it's kind of a waste of time debating people incapable of comprehending things beyond the tiny worldview that they've accepted as reality. Though, you can st still continue to do so because it can be kind of fun and having debate skills is actually pretty useful. Here's a quote from Herman Hesse that uh, is about the shadow. And I quote, If you hate a person, you hate something in him that is a part of yourself. What isn't part of ourselves doesn't bother us. End quote. The shadow is our dark side, with the majority of shadow attributes being primordial and raw. Primitive emotions connected to our survival throughout humanity's evolution over the millennia. It's basically uh, a lot of it comes from natural selections, uh, fight for survival in the ruthless wilds of Mother Nature, I guess. The shadow is repressed aspects of our personalities as well. Like I said, there are actually many aspects that make up a human being. We are not our ego and conscious mind, but many different shards of consciousness invisible to the waking awareness. Everyone wears social masks, has an ego, a persona, a conscious and subconscious. There is so much more to a person than their daily thoughts, and a lot of who we are is actually in the shadow. But I do kind of want to make a clarification here because a person's shadow does not always mean that it's fully negative, because the shadow can actually contain many positive traits as well. In fact, there's a plethora of talents and abilities greatly beneficial to our daily lives locked away in the shadow. For example, an unconfident person with low self-esteem probably has a shadow that's analogous to Napoleon and is secretly a competent genius, incapable of being stopped, and an ego the size of the moon. Someone with social anxiety probably has a shadow that has aspects that are incredibly charismatic and profoundly powerful. So there's many shadow aspects that, if integrated back into conscious awareness, can lead to the dissolving of many people's problems and limitations. Everything we deny in ourselves throughout our lives becomes an aspect of the shadow. And sadly, to gain social acceptance, we learn to deny aspects of ourselves very early in life, such as traits shown in childhood that received ridicule from adults or the teasing of children on the playground about attributes found in opposition to what the other kids accept as normal. Early on in our lives, we learn to suppress these unwanted things that bring us scrutiny. All the parts we deny in ourselves never leave us, though, and actively become part of our subconscious, absorbed into the shadow. These shadow attributes can be socially taboo, or just straight up utterly horrifying. We portray to the world what we think it wants to see. Being kind, generous, 
fun-loving, cool, all-around uh, socially acceptable. But in doing so, it creates a monster within ourselves. Here's a quote by Jung himself. Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in an individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. End quote. Other examples of shadow attributes is a boy being ridiculed for showing feminine qualities, a young girl told her art is a waste of time, or being called weird for certain mannerisms by others. This all can lead to a person uh, allowing these attributes to become self-loathing. We deny taboo images, shameful memories, bad experiences, sexual desires, aggressive impulses, irritations, deplorable desires, immoral urges. But none of these suppressed aspects of ourselves go anywhere. They are just simply relegated to our dark side, just under the level of conscious awareness. Childhood trauma and emotional wounds are some of the defining qualities of the shadow that remain with us, I guess basically our entire lives unless they're confronted. Oftentimes the shadow can hide horrific qualities. Qualities found in people that society doesn't necessarily approve of, such as uh, qualities like sadism, murderous impulses, or drive to commit violence. Early on, humans are taught to suppress and deny such thoughts, which is actually the opposite of what one should do. You see, having the thoughts and the instincts is actually perfectly fine. Just because such dark inclinations fall into conscious awareness does not mean that someone has to act on it. Humanity's misguided narrative of good and evil is what leads to complete psychological imbalances and uh, leads to a pretty dark shadow. Selfishness, greed, anger, jealousy, uh, vindictiveness, hate, judgment. All of these negative emotions are part of the shared human experience and just as natural and relevant as any positive emotions. Nothing exists without its opposite in all degrees of existence. To consciously accept some over others only builds imbalance within the psyche, and it causes the shadow to become stronger and stronger. Negative emotions are biologically programmed into us and instinctual, and we are supposed to experience them. You see, people think that uh, everything's all negative and all that, but you, if you really look at things, there's a nice balance. However, we are instinctually, biologically programmed to focus on negative things out of survival. But if people know themselves, that's not really a big deal. Early on, when people are children, they're mostly just pure subconscious mind. The shadow does mature with them as they mature, but it's not really fully formed until about 20 years. Yeah, 20 years it takes to grow to a, a full, mature shadow. And as the shadow grows, disapproval, reprimands, scolding, all these things can cause one to change the behaviors to gratify the external world. And whatever is suppressed doesn't go anywhere. By allowing social conditioning to take possession early on, the shadow really only naturally grows stronger and stronger. We all put ourselves in an invisible bag and drag it behind us. As Jung says, and I quote, There is no light without shadow and no psychic wholeness without imperfection. End quote. And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. 
Don't go anywhere, you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Hi there, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show, but most of all, thanks for listening. We all carry a demon within us. The shadow will turn against us, with the disowned parts of our true nature taking unconscious control of our lives. The shadow operates underneath the radar of our daily thoughts and conscious actions, and this can cause spontaneous behavior that conflicts with our conscious thoughts that we instantly regret. I'm sure we've all been there. But it can also give off body language that goes against what we're actually thinking or feeling. In essence, the shadow can and does take control of us without us having any ability to stop it. This unconscious aspect of ourselves can ruin our lives. It can create destroyed relationships, failed careers from self-sabotage, and an inability to take responsibility in life to handle required matters that bring us peace. And as Jung said, and I quote, Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And for those who have never looked for it before, a fantastic way to spot the shadow is through projection. Whatever qualities we project in ourselves, we see in others. And it usually uh, greatly aggravates the onlooker in some way. Such as if you see someone acting arrogant and it builds a loathing within you towards them. You probably have not come to terms with insecurities that are masked by arrogance within yourself. Arrogance is always a mask for insecurity, make no mistake. But when we see it in other people, the shadow might react differently than somebody who is humble. Not might, will act differently than somebody who is humble. So if you have like inner conflict that you haven't worked out with for self-esteem or whatnot, if you see somebody being arrogant, it could make you very, very upset to the point where that's all you can focus on for a few moments or think back on it over and over. 
It's hard to spot our own projections because they don't really happen consciously, but you can practice to build awareness of it, and eventually you'll be able to see it clear as day. This ego we create through the rejection of our shadow self is a mirror that distorts reality. A good example is uh, customer service when a customer becomes easily rude to the employee. This is actually the shadow projecting itself to make up for unconscious feelings of helplessness, unworthiness, and low self-esteem. So people who do that and they're just power tripping on people that they know that they can get away with, they're actually really pathetic. People should feel bad for them. Here's a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And yeah, I cannot pronounce that name. Anyway. If only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? End quote. And the shadow may seem like it has a lot of unconscious control over our lives, but it's possible to take back that power, and that is through shadow work. Shadow work is the process of becoming aware of the shadow's existence and reabsorbing it back into consciousness to become a whole person. Nobody likes to acknowledge their own flaws and negative aspects, but they're actually key to individualization. Like Jung said, enlightenment does not come from imagining beings of light, but by making the darkness conscious. It's through shadow work that we consciously explore our dark side and reconnect the links that our conscious minds either repressed or our unconscious minds repressed because of trauma. Shadow work is to change one's paradigm and to no longer give in to social conditioning for acceptance from others. Now, this doesn't mean you act all crazy and evil after performing shadow work. It's actually quite the opposite. The simple fact of the matter is humans don't have to do anything. Just because one does not repress their darkness or try to suppress their natural instincts and attributes, it does not mean that they or anyone has to act on those impulses or thoughts. And it's really only when you repress them that they have the ability to take over and you do really messed up stuff. We just allow the darkness and the shadow and the impulses and thoughts just to, to be and to see them as natural without judgment. It's perfectly okay to have antisocial thoughts and instincts because it doesn't mean that we act on them. It's only when they're repressed to the shadow that they become dangerous. So... Next time you imagine taking an axe to an annoying coworker, don't repress the thought, just let it play out. Shadow work is all about making the unconscious conscious, and none of your thoughts or instincts or attributes should be seen as bad. Bad and good are the exact same thing, they're just different degrees of that same thing. Too much modern spirituality or new age stuff revolves around love and light and a denial of any negative things in all forms. This is what's known as toxic positivity and a form of escapism. Not only does it actually halt spiritual growth, but it also creates an extremely unstable and powerful shadow. Those who are a fan of books like The Secret, which I'm sure that you've probably heard of, and you know, I'm not really mocking The Secret, it just, uh, 
doesn't give you all the stuff you need to actually make it work. But uh, those who are fans of books like that say you only have to focus on specific positive thoughts and you'll manifest only good things in your life, which is extremely perilous because who dictates what's good? Your conscious mind definitely does not. To deny darkness is to reject the unconscious, which always results in cognitive dissidence. Only focusing on positivity does not heal oneself, and it actually only creates mental instability. And uh, it increases the shadow's control over your conscious life. Catholic priests, for example, try to embody pure holiness. Yet, uh, there's countless, like literally countless, cases of them molesting innocent children. In ages past, such holy men burned innocent people alive and tortured countless masses hiding behind a shield of false virtue. However, in their minds, they were righteous and uh, they were champions of God. But in reality, they were monsters of cruelty and oppression. See, contrary to mainstream belief, there's nothing wrong with having darkness. Carl Jung knew that it was perfectly natural and healthy. No human has ever grown as a person or really even become stronger through things that are easy. Darkness and challenges are actually extremely good for us because being human is all about rising up and overcoming obstacles. The strongest and most successful people always come from backgrounds littered with failure, suffering, unfulfillment, bad luck, challenge, emotional turmoil, and frustration. These are the people that change the world. These things are good, and they create people who can become a beacon for others and are just movers and shakers. The only difference between them and others is that they accepted darkness and used it to ascend and give them strength. Anyone who's ever reached the top and achieved greatness did so by overcoming great adversity. They did not reject their shadow, but embrace it. Here's a quote from Ion, one of my, uh, favorite Carl Jung books that I'm actually reading through again right now. The shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality, for no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. To become conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality as present and real. This act is an essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. End quote. So, according to Jung, true enlightenment only comes after, quote-unquote, crossing the threshold and opening up a doorway between worlds. And by opening up a doorway between worlds, I mean opening up a... basically opening up a doorway between the subconscious and conscious minds. Which I'm pretty sure is really hard to wrap your mind around if this stuff is new to you. But according to Jung, we must go deep within ourselves and face our shadow selves if we ever want to become whole. Like the Buddha said, the middle path is the road that leads to nirvana, and accepting the darkness and the light is the key towards spiritual awakening. When we cease denying aspects of ourselves and bring all of it into our conscious being, it's a catalyst to unlock one's full potential. And we're going to be moving on to a different subject, the esoteric egregore. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? 
a spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. horror are really baffling and weird and interesting supernatural slash paranormal entities and since in the past i've talked about thought forms before i think that it's only natural to go over the egregore these entities are esoteric with a vast and amorphous influence that can vary significantly in design and intent be it evil proper protective destructive an egregore has a wide range of purposes and there is a deep well of esoteric lore regarding egregore though they're mostly going to be found in um like uh esoteric societies secret societies occult orders like the freemasons etc they're ever watching forces of energy that can manipulate the minds of anyone under their sphere of influence whether that person is aware of it or not. Egregore are autonomous psychic beings fed through willpower, focused desire, or mental energy from people who all uh, are part of a group and have a common cause. Some egregores are no better than wild beasts, at least in their intellectual nature. However, there are many more that are fully sentient and independent. An egregore does not ever come into being without uh, being created. It has to be generated by humans. But humans don't know they give birth to egregores. At least the majority of them. Their lore is incredibly fascinating because they're very dreamlike entities whose existence is basically alien to human comprehension. They're not tangible or like ghosts or, um, it's kind of hard to describe. Though they can take forms, I guess, if they have to, or in certain situations or circumstances. Anyway, I'm blabbing. The word egregore comes from the Greek words egregori and egregoin, and can also be translated to Grigori. All these words have one thing in common, or a, a similar translation in common, which is either watchman or watcher. Egregore are mentioned three times in the apocryphal texts of Lamentations, Jubilees, and the Book of Enoch. These books were removed from the Christian canon by the Roman Emperor Constantine, but contain a lot of Christian beliefs not found in the mainstream scriptures, which is kind of odd. But no matter where they're described, they always have the same attributes in common. These entities form naturally from all groups of people who come together for a common cause. They're birthed from straight up the, uh, the mental energy of groups. 
They can do so independently from conscious human awareness or intentionally too, meaning that people can purposely create an egregore if they want to. But if there's an organization, political party, club, religion, then it has an egregore. As such, uh, people connect to a plethora of egregores during their lives that uh, pull their strings unconsciously. Though the influence of an egregore isn't necessarily a bad thing, because they're not outright evil and have just as many moral shades of gray as people. And though they have an amorphous existence beyond physical reality, they've been known to attach themselves to inanimate objects as well. And they're not really limited in what they can cling to in the physical realm, but are mostly attached to places of worship, busy buildings, or even caves. These egregore are usually renegade in some way, or were given birth in places of great psychic trauma by large numbers of people. Renegade egregore can have any alignment, good, bad, or anything in between. And they slowly build up strength by influencing people that come near the location. Though these types of egregore are actually in great danger of starvation if they cannot adapt and influence the humans that come near it. And since egregore, according to the lore, influence basically everyone that's connected to them, you may be wondering, how can you tell if an egregore is influencing you? Well, it's not easy most of the time. The general vibe and psychic impressions of an egregore are so common and uh, ordinary. People actually interact with them on a daily basis without even realizing it. When we were much younger, it was uh, easier to tell. But as we get older, encountering a strange egregore is as normal as the wind blowing on your skin. It's there, but so what? The wind is always blowing. It's only really noticeable if it's so intense it becomes annoying or dangerous. The majority of egregore are so subtle that they're challenging to notice. But then again, basically all people have walked into unfamiliar places and been overwhelmed with a sudden change of energy. I'm sure you've walked into somewhere and just been like, what's up with this place? It's just like an instant change. It's a sudden shift from one's current emotional state, be it negative or positive or even dread. This phenomenon is actually an unexpected interaction with an unfamiliar egregore. And the way that an egregore communicates with you or interacts with somebody is through the unconscious. So it's actually incredibly difficult for people not trained to or people who don't have any like spiritual awareness to detect them. They're invisible forces that influence the psychology of all the people connected to them. They're the vibe or energetic personality that develops from a group. This group mind is separate from the individual members of its affiliated community and grows and expands on its own. They can be mindless, but an egregore can also be very focused and intelligent. If you've ever felt different all of a sudden entering an old building or populated area with a particular story, that's an egregore tugging at your psyche. Some negative egregores can even suck people in and cause them to start self-destructive habits and then influence the person to go deeper and deeper into their self-destruction. These egregore will feed off the negative energy to sustain them, but they'll eventually die out if they cannot connect to new sources of mental energy. To those in the know, such egregore can be bargained with to gain certain boons even, such as material gain, fame, or whatever they desire. 
But whatever the egregore can give, it always comes with a cost, just like the lore on making deals with demons. Because afterward, that egregore will seek domination over that person that can last beyond the grave. So it's wise just not to make deals with egregore. Well, I mean, uh, at least the, uh, the selfish or the, the negative egregore. Because like I said, there's egregore out there with all different shades of gray and moralities. So not all of them are evil and going to want to dominate your soul. A lot of them have incredibly short lifespans because new ones require constant mental waves of energy from their creators to uh, survive and grow, just like humans need food to grow and survive with unfocused or weak psychic emanations from the group that birthed them, leaving the egregore unstable. In the case of young groups of friends or fledgling clubs and whatnot, weak egregores are typical. But these fragile egregores are still not to be underestimated. The group culture that birthed the egregore will still influence the people it's associated with, basically to conform to the overarching beliefs of the group. This is why so many young people have certain morals and outlooks that die very quickly once they join a group of friends. Though these, uh, these uh, naturally generating egregore are the weakest, certain types of egregore created from incredibly disciplined and spiritually advanced groups can become incredibly powerful. They're generated with an abundant energized astral form intentionally and can take on the image of godlike beings. And according to this lore, um, throughout history, many gods and goddesses were actually indeed just egregore. And the entities could be called upon to grant its associated group assistance in a variety of spiritual matters. They can grant protection, support in spiritual development, um, opening someone up to astral currents of spiritual energy or giving them answers to questions by digging it up from their subconscious. These egregore can grow and grow to the point that they become full-blown eh, deities of religions, I guess. And uh, these egregore associated with religion or other such spiritual ideologies can be called upon for protection. New Age spiritual beliefs can call upon egregore for a multitude of reasons, even praying to them to fight evil spirits and the like, or to cleanse areas of negative energies or guide them in difficult life situations. The most potent egregore can also become archetypes of human consciousness uh, passed on through humanity's collective unconscious. I know I just talked about Carl Jung, psychology, and uh, I didn't really get into the archetypes, but the archetypes influence humanity through the psyche, and egregores can do so as well. And this ability for them to just control or not control to influence entire groups of people that are connected to them can be pretty horrifying if you think about it. In the book, The Crowd, a study of the popular mind, written by Gustave Le Bon in 1896, the Frenchman goes into great detail about his research into human behavior. He was basically the original people watcher. Gustave spent an insane amount of time analyzing human interaction and came to many fascinating conclusions. He found it telling how an ordinary person can appear at least to have solid morals and independent thoughts and ideals. However, when that person joins a crowd, they lose a part of themselves and change to conform to the group energy, such as good upstanding people committing atrocities without even noticing their horrific actions. <laughs> and looking back in history, 
Uh, this is much more common than you would believe. The herd mentality can take over temporarily and change the very way that that person looks at the world. And sadly, this passion of egregores has led to countless genocides and atrocities. People outside the group say, how did this happen? No normal human is capable of that. How could someone do this? How could someone not realize that they were committing such evil on innocent people? How is this even possible in real life for somebody to do this? Yet the darker nature of humanity reveals that a person can be kind and generous one moment, and an Auschwitz guard killing innocent civilians the next. Those in the know can use these dark egregores to manipulate weak-minded groups of people to follow its will mindlessly. Under an egregore's influence like this, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to see other people's point of view, and they kind of only comprehend the world in black and white to what the entity desires based off of uh, polarized points of view. They're basically robbed of objectivity. And once somebody is uh, attached to an egregore, the group mind will always tax them in some way. This tax isn't always bad. Remember, not all egregore are bad, but there are definitely bad egregore. However, one should always be very careful about uh, joining an egregore. Or, I mean, it's, uh, it's group. Because some are pretty hard to detach from. And with these harder, these uh, harder to detach from egregore, it's usually beneficial to hide in the influence of another egregore while you're detaching from it. They just have to differ enough for there not to be a conflict between the psychic entities. And across their esoteric lore, these egregores, they exist in an undefinable etheric existence, but are both present in the material and spiritual worlds, while also influencing people through the collective unconscious on the mental plane. They take form on the astral plane and can visually manifest before one of its members in certain situations. But if somebody has the ability to astral project, they can straight up go and interact with an egregore. Like I've already said, esoteric groups can create incredibly powerful egregores and interact with them as one would a god or goddess in the days of old. Whether one is aware or not of its existence, these egregores can be very seductive to get caught up in. It's uh, kind of tough to resist once connected to it, and anyone new to the group can get swept away in its energy, changing their outlook on life and making them obsessed with whatever the egregore is focused around. Have you ever had that annoying friend that got super into something new? Like a enlightening religion or philosophy or you know what I'm talking about and they would just like never shut up about it? Well, yeah, that friend is totally high on an egregore. Becoming caught up in the passionate hatred or love an egregore emits can be hard to resist. The more organized and focused the group, the stronger the egregore. It will grow along with the group while influencing the psyche of all those associated with it. In certain situations concerning occult orders, egregore can be purposely empowered through ceremonies and rituals. With these egregore, probably arguably the most powerful and can open up a gateway to the mysteries, aligning initiates to the mystic current of that particular secret society. In doing so, the egregore can greatly increase the spiritual and psychic development of the individual to help awaken the esoteric powers within them. One thing that separates a person with awareness to that of just a member of the collective is knowing the existence of egregores. 
which allows them to not be influenced by the entity if they don't want to. Association with any organization, club, or group automatically opens one up to the influence of the reigning egregore. And not getting caught up in all of its, uh, bullshit can be very beneficial. Doing so is the only way to defend yourself against this group mind entity because they can't really be defeated or destroyed unless they're starved of the mental energy that created them. Welcome to the Chamber of Mysteries. I am Anubis, the Egyptian god of death and guide through the underworld. Recently, the goddess Ma'at pointed out to me that the scales of justice have not been in balance. This is not good and can bring chaos to the multiverse. But you, dear mortal, may help in averting this cosmic disaster by supporting Cryptic Chronicles. In doing so, you will gain ad-free episodes of the podcast, as well as bonus content only for patrons. In spreading free thinking and higher knowledge, the forces of darkness are kept at bay. Simply subscribe to the Chronicler's Vault at crypticchronicles.com. And by pledging a single dollar a month, you can help keep Apophis in the void and Ra's sky chariot soaring proudly through the universe. Also, subscribe to the Cryptic Chronicles YouTube channel. Share. Talk. Anubis, don't forget to tell them about iTunes and spreading the show. Oh, right. Thank you, Ma'at. Please, mortal, help broaden the scope of listeners for the podcast by leaving a good review on iTunes and share every episode or any Cryptic Chronicles content as much as you can. In doing so, we can increase the audience and fans for the show, spreading it across all the consciousness of humanity. Help fight the darkness by supporting Cryptic Chronicles and assist the Goddess of the Scales and I, Anubis, God of Death, in bringing balance to the planes of existence. The astral currents must be calmed and the opposites must be reconciled. As above, so below. Farewell, mortal.
right, next up, um, let's end this episode with a good old-fashioned myth. And that is the myth of Shuten Doji, also known as the Demon King. Shuten Doji was born an orphan child in Japan long ago. He was distraught, despite being incredibly large, strong, and far beyond average intelligence. Some even believed that his parentage was beyond ordinary humans, and many thought one of his parents was a demon or even a dragon. When he was young, he joined a temple to become a monk, but completely hated it. He was irreverent and rebellious, causing conflict with his fellow monks and all around didn't seem to care much about his studies or being a monk. Shuten Doji became consumed with the love of alcohol and regularly drank sake to the point of extreme excess. It was his drinking that would earn him his name too, Shuten Doji, which when translated means little drunkard. He was also a prankster and one night at a festival he became super drunk and decided to put on a Japanese oni mask, which is a, a Japanese demon. He went around the festival finding the best hiding spots and would jump out and freak people out and terrify them. He actually had a really wonderful time terrifying people and really delighted in causing fear in others. However, at the end of the evening, he was exhausted and his drinking was catching up to him. But when he tried to remove the mask, he was astonished that he could not take it off. The demon mask had fused to his face. And this really freaked him out and greatly distressed he went for help. Instead, the monks just mocked him and taunted him, and even his teacher wouldn't help him. Everyone at the temple scolded him for his bad habits, evil mind, and drunken pranks, which infuriated Shuten Doji. His heart grew dark, and he became completely consumed in anger. Now disfigured and shunned, the young monk walked away from the temple, never to return. He journeyed into the wilderness and there planned to live as a hermit. He could no longer be among common people of ancient Japan with demon mask on his face. So, he became an exile. Being all alone for such an extended period of time, the solitude slowly drove Suten Doji insane. He grew to detest the world and all who dwell in it. But he didn't despair and instead embraced the wickedness and evil that emanated within him. In doing so, Shuten Doji became obsessed with the occult and began an intense self-education in black magic. He would then use his new dark powers to spread suffering. Anyone Shuten Doji came across was in danger and he sought out victims to torment often. He had no remorse in abducting men, women, or children, then murder them to drink their blood and gorge himself on their organs. Slowly, those with a like-minded nature came to him and joined his cause of destruction and pain. Just like Shuten Doji, these followers of his slowly transformed into Oni. Demons. All Japan was prey to his small army of demonic minions, and the wails of suffering echoed across the land. He and his army of demons became so powerful, they turned their eyes towards all of Japan with a desire to rule as tyrants. The world itself was their enemy and they would bring torment upon the society that was so cruel to them. He had a castle built and when finished he began his conquest of Japan. When not in his palace, the demon king would spill forth with his army and attack those who stood in his way. The capital of the country was his main target and he attacked the city frequently, slowly weakening it. 
Not only this, but he and his followers continued to attack the innocent and unprotected civilians of the country at will. So things were getting pretty dark. But eventually, the Japanese emperor sought to stop the Demon King's path of destruction before he grew too powerful to defeat. He called forth a great hero by the name of Raiko and sent him on a quest to shoot in Doji's castle and bring back the demon's head. Honor-bound and without fear, the samurai and his men traveled to the castle without hesitation. Outside the bastion, they found an army of demons drinking sake and reveling in debauchery. Using stealth and wit, Raiko and his men poisoned the vats of sake, which caused the demon army to fall into a drunken, poisoned slumber, allowing the brave samurai to sneak into the castle. They encountered many demons, killing them one by one in honorable combat. Then they finally came upon Shuten Doji. The battle was one of brutality and elegant blade skill, but in the end, Raiko slew the Demon King. However, he had become so powerful, not even death could claim him. Shuten Doji's head levitated and continued to attack the samurai. However, eventually, they did manage to overcome it, and they buried the head deep in the earth, where it could do no more harm. And there, the Demon King remains, waiting for the day he may rise again and continue to bring pain and suffering to the world. that's all for today don't forget to call in and have your own cryptic encounters on the show just call and leave a message at 1-800-757-6049 once again that's 1-800-757-6049 can't wait to hear from you just make sure that your tale is clear and concise with uh, all your thoughts together ahead of time cryptic chronicles is available on itunes stitcher podbean and basically all podcast host sites and apps. Just search for us with whatever podcast app you use and we'll be there. Also visit the website, crypticchronicles.com. Follow us on social media like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, as well as DTube, Dailymotion, and Vimeo. Whatever you like using, CC will be there. Uh, DTube is pretty cool because it's completely uncensored, just like old school YouTube if you're into that. And if you have a second to spare and want to help out the show, consider giving a good review on iTunes or whatever you use to get your episodes. Share whatever you can. I'll really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for your support. But if you'd like to go a step further and be awesome, then support us on Patreon. For just a buck a month, you can unlock the Patreon-only shows, an ad-free version of the show, uncut and uncensored. You'll also get YouTube videos early, but greatest of all, you can also join the Discord server. And depending on what you pledge, you can even co-host an episode with me. Choose the topic of an episode for me to cover, or just, you know, good stuff. So if you want to be awesome, then go check out Patreon. Shout out to current patrons, Kenny, Stephanie Wilkie, Angela Dallaire, uh, Leanne Watson, Mark Lane, Linda Gonzalez. Thank you all very much. You really make my day and the efforts of creating more content easier. 
It was good talking to you again. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. And as a creative genius once said, All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king.